Did you know that 89% of award-winning ad campaigns fall into just six categories of thinking? And now the ad nerds at AdHouse Advertising School have taken that thinking and turned it into a deck of cards. AdHouse of Cards is a deck of 35 cards designed to help you come up with big ideas. Each card includes a prompt, a proven technique used by award-winning ad pros to jumpstart your thinking and improve your campaigns. Visual thinkers can use the backs of the cards to free associate using gorgeous photography from the artists at Unsplash.com. AdHouse of Cards will teach you to hone in on the benefit, dramatize it, romanticize it, look at it sideways, and twist it into a pretzel. And the best part is that all of the proceeds go to the AdHouse Scholarship Program, supporting our mission to make the advertising industry more inclusive. AdHouse of Cards, a deck for ad nerds. Get yours today for just 20 bucks at AdHouseNYC.com. Hello, fellow ad nerds, and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman, ECD at VaynerMedia and co-dean at AdHouse Advertising School. You know, I've been away starting my new job um, and getting COVID and just generally having the winter blues, but I'm back now, feeling healthy, and uh, I'm going to be dropping episodes every week starting with this one, which is my conversation with Cameron Day, the author of the new book, Chew With Your Mind Open. Cameron is a second-generation advertising man. His dad was Guy Day, co-founder of Shiat Day, and he spent the last quarter century working in agencies big and small, practicing what his dad and many others taught him. The way Cameron tells it, I've had a hand in building some damn fine brands, contributed a few nice ads along the way, and made a handful of treasured friends. Well, we're going to hear about all that and more right now. This is a chock full episode, so I'm just going to kick it. Uh, so without further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Cameron Day. Cameron Day, welcome. Thanks, man. Uh, thanks for jumping on with me. Uh, sure. I, I saw that your book was on Kickstarter. I had a recent Kickstarter uh, experience. It's it's uh it feels like you're just begging for everybody come on help me out oh, here oh, help me yeah. out here it's just oh, like you talking uh, about the cards yeah the card i, I finally had to just put up half the money myself and just get i, I it love the cards to... you're absolutely right once you get into it you realize you're panhandling everybody right yeah yeah it, and you know it's funny for guys who are marketers you're not used to pushing yourself on people right yes yeah no it was it was a strange experience but uh I mean, I learned a lot from it, and it was yeah. fun, and I think I ended up lighting more of a fire under my ass than I normally would have Yeah, actually get out there and promote it, right? Yeah, it's good to have that accountability. Like, you're, you're like, oh, I got a deadline to meet, you know? So yeah. in that yeah. way, it helps a lot. And it, it does get your best friends to sort of jump in and, and say, yeah. like, you know, uh, this is great. And it, it might get some people to notice you, but, uh, great job on the book. It looks beautiful and it feels beautiful and I can't wait to dig in. Well, um, true, but true story. I have a yeah. confession. I have a brother-in-law who is a really terrific graphic designer. My book was designed by, by my brother-in-law. Oh, that's great. But, but it wasn't, uh, 
and it was family rate, but it was still, I just think he did such a fabulous job. And, you know, I've worked with designers before and I've worked with uh, art directors before, but uh, he's like an information graphics guy. And when I told him what the goal of the book was, when he came back at me with his first visual treatment, I was stunned by how different it felt and how, how much he really took to heart what the concept of the book was. And I didn't expect it to look anything like that. But when I realized, when I saw it, I was like, he's completely on brief. <laughs> what was your brief? What was your brief to him? The, the brief was, when, when, I, when I started writing this, um, it was to treat each chapter as if it was a, uh, a teaching module, right? Yeah. And there are three acts per chapter. I identify a subject and I give advice about that subject. Mm -hmm. And then there's this chapter that I call story time where we switch gears. And instead of it, me giving in theory forward facing um, uh, advice, it's me go back, going back and telling a story from my career of when I either didn't take the right advice right. Or, or did take the right advice and, and for people to kind of see how it played out. Yeah. So the, to me, the interesting thing was the concept, once, once I got to this notion of writing each chapter as a teaching module with three acts, the three acts are, this is the subject, here's a story, or in some cases, more than one story that kind of lean into the subject I've identified. And then the end of the chapter, which I call food for thought, is a series of bullet points. And the way I tried to think about that is if somebody's having a career emergency, go to the blue pages. Yeah, yeah. That, that just cuts straight to the point uh, and kind of removes all the fluff from it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, here you got tips for job hunting. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah, I love, uh, I just got started, as I said, but um, your first story is how you didn't, <laughs> you didn't take, the, <laughs> you didn't take the job from Shia Day because you didn't want to be the the son of the owner first of all we should start off we usually start these off with where'd you grow up but <clears throat> we all know where you grew up but let's talk about that where so you grew up as the son of guy day was he guy day when you were born when you were when you were a, a, well, a, a uh, child I, was he I was, I was born in 60 and shyat day started in 68 okay he was an ad man prior to that uh, the ad man being like a, like an account guy or what was he? Well, actually, here's the interesting thing about both Jay and my dad. Jay Shiat and Guy Day. Have you, have you ever heard the, the uh, job title copy contact? No. Both Jay and my father at small agencies in Los Angeles were performing the task, which they in that day called copy contact. And what it meant is you're the client contact and you write the copy. Wow. So, so you're both, the account guy slash copywriter. Yeah. I mean, wow. you're, in, in essence, you're everything but the art director, right? Yeah. And both Jay and my father were copy contact guys at their own small agency. Wow. And as the story goes, they got so tired of seeing the other guy waiting in the wings as they either left a meeting or came for a meeting. <laughs> Uh, that finally is like, you know, we'd probably have double the chance of surviving us as a small agency if we figured out a way we could work together. 
Wow. So they were competitors and they would see each other yeah. all the time and be like, you know what? Let's just do it together. Let's do you yeah, and me. I, I believe Jay's agency was Jay Shiat and Associates. And my father's was Faust Day. Faust Day. Okay. The, the only story I can tell you about, about Tom Faust that came from my dad. And, and he was, he's not much of a shit talker, right? Yeah. Um, he told me the thing about Tom Faust as a partner is we could get to a meeting, do introductions, and then I, I guy would realize, oh, geez, I got to take a leak. I'm going to excuse myself for three minutes and I'll be right back. Yeah. He'd leave the meeting and he'd come back to a, an empty office with just Tom Faust sitting there. <laughs> and he'd go, Tom, what happened? And Tom would go, we don't need assholes like this as clients. <laughs> it didn't really give me a whole lot beyond that, other than Faust seemed to have the uncanny knack of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think my dad had the misfortune of starting an agency with him. Oh, man. So I think, I think, and I don't even know the details, because again, getting my dad to talk about advertising as a stranger, here's the, here's the, here's the interesting thing I've found. As an adult, going anywhere with my father socially, if it was a wedding or if it was a, uh, some kind of an, an art walk and, and he bumped into somebody he'd never met, uh, they would say, well, he'd say, I'm Guy, and they'd say, I'm, I'm Tom. And Tom would say, well, what do you do? And he said, well, I'm retired. He wouldn't say retired from what? <laughs> but then you might say, well, retired from what? And he said, I was in marketing. I mean, you would have to play 20 questions with him to get yeah. to, I was the day half of Shiat Day. Yeah. Right? So I think most people would naturally lead with that punch or save it for answer number three. It's like <laughs> he, he had this mixture of modesty, and I don't even know if embarrassment is fair, <laughs> but, but it's like he didn't really love the spotlight. He didn't love giving quotes to the trade magazines. Yeah. All the stuff that Jay excelled at, my yeah. no interest in doing, right? Uh, that's what made them great partners, I guess. Well, and I, and Jay the was the opposite of that. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the assumption was, oh, well, your dad was the account guy, right? That's what I always thought. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that Jay and Guy both had the same roles within their small agencies. And I think subscribe to the point of view that we hire people who are better than us that 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 was i think the one rule they made if we're going to hire a writer that writer better be better than us and yeah. if we're going to hire an art director it's probably easier to get in as an art director uh, i think yeah. they both agreed that we're they were going to aspire to hire really great people yeah and i would say what 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 they did as well as anybody is allow great people to do great work and i think if you ask what's the J part of it, it was push, 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 never be satisfied. Um, shy day and night. If you don't come in on Saturday, don't come in on Sunday. <laughs> but please come in on Monday. <laughs> that was how we always used to say it. <laughs> and then I think it was my dad who was probably more of the mind that, hey, don't forget to have a life. And, and that's not to suggest they didn't pull some long hours because they did. I just think he was balanced a little bit differently and, and maybe to me seemed like more empathetic mm -hmm. to people as opposed to just grinding on people. No, that's not good enough. No, do something else. What else have you got? I think yeah, that yeah. Jay part of it.
Yeah. So they were yeah. like the Lennon and McCartney there doing uh, the mean guy and the nice guy thing. Yeah. It's so bad cop, bad cop. And again, I I'm working off a lot of bits and pieces of things my dad shared with me. Yeah. Because when I. When I was going to say, when you, when you were growing up, did, did you know all this? Were you, were you like, I'm definitely going to be an average. What, at what point were you like, advertising seems okay? You know, the thing is, I'd get taken into the office on weekend. And I never thought about it this way when I was a kid. But when the boss's kid shows up in the art studio wanting to play with markers, the art directors are like, hey, come on over and sit over here. And here's the markers. And yeah. I remember being taught how to use a lucy do you know you even know what a lucy is yeah yeah i I remember a lucy it was the the way you blew things up was on a lucy yeah i would walk into his his uh agency with like a mad magazine or with a car magazine or with a cartoons magazine and i go i want to draw a larger picture of this and you know an art director a studio manager would say come on over here kid let me show you this machine and he'd show me how to use the lucy yeah and i was just like Oh my God, this is the greatest place on earth, right? <laughs> like, I wasn't a great artist, but I could trace. Yeah. I could time tracing. And, yeah. boy, you show me 200 different colors of markers when I'd only seen 12. Right. And I'm like, this has got to be the greatest place on earth to just draw and just express your creativity. Yeah. Probably the funniest story I can share with you about, about Shiat is I knew what my I knew vaguely that it was artistic, what my dad did, or right. what his agency did. And when you were a kid, did you ever go to the dentist, and before you left the dentist office, they'd pull open a drawer, and there'd be a drawer full of toys, and you could pick one? Yeah. Well, when I left, when I left Shia Day with my dad, come on, sport, time to go home, he'd walk over to the closet, he'd open a closet, and what I didn't realize is those were all the promos that had been sent to Shia Day, right? Yeah. So the first time I ever saw a clacking pair of teeth that you wind up was in that closet. And he said, why don't you grab something from in here? So I, it was probably like failed attempts to get hired at Shiat Day. Yeah. Miracle I didn't take coma, hire the harried uh, pro, uh, promo, you know? <laughs> so to answer your question, I never completely understood what my dad did. Like if, I never invited him to come talk to my class when I was in uh, elementary school. So I never got the presentation. But as we'd be driving to his office, a lot of times he'd go out, oh, there's one of our billboards. And as a kid, I'd look up at a billboard for for Western harness racing. And I'd go, huh, that's a jockey on a billboard where they've removed the the harness racing apparatus from it. So it's just, it appears to be a jockey like dangling in the air in the position of a harness racing jockey. Yeah. I remember thinking, well, that's really an interesting visual, but I didn't really understand what advertising was. But I think very early in, I realized that Shia Day was gamifying uh, uh, how to present things on a very low level so whenever you point something and say that's one of our billboards, it generally was always something that was interesting. Right. Like a puzzle so you had to put my together. My association was they made these interesting visual uh, communications. There was every color of marker, marker known to mankind. Yeah. 
the art directors always treated me really well when I went there on weekends. Yeah. <laughs> and there were lots of toys in the closet. And I got to leave with a toy every time. Yeah. What what a great what a great place to go on the weekends. Well, the interesting thing, it, this is when Chayette was um on Olympic Boulevard in a really sketchy part of downtown. I, I could I remember, you know, like when if you've ever been to Detroit, mm. and if you go, I'm gonna drive to downtown Detroit and you pass eight mile and you start realizing, oh my God, this is not we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. Like the, the neighborhood, this is not when they were in the Biltmore, and they certainly weren't in Venice. Yeah. Uh, and they weren't in Mar Vista in that big uh, uh, building they have now. They were just in kind of this dumpy office building. Yeah. Uh, and I think the alleys probably smelled like urine. <laughs> I mean, was, there was nothing glamorous you about You didn't going. wander around the campus it didn't when you were there. The campus. Well, <laughs> but, but boy, when you got up in the building, yeah, it was, it was, it was like all this great art stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so so then you you get to and and I'm sorry I haven't read the book. I, I wish I, I wish I had the time to to read. I, maybe we'll do another one once I've once I've actually read yeah. it. Well, but um but at what point did you did you say okay, I'm going to do advertising. Uh, I could see somebody uh with your uh family being like, "You know what? Screw advertising. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a I'm going to go the opposite of dad, you know? Right. Well, um, it's, it's a funny answer because there was no push from dad to go into it. Right. right. You didn't even talk to him before your first job. That's, that's, yeah, where, that's the one thing I have. We, we, we didn't really develop into the mentor-mentee relationship until I showed him something that I, would, I had written, and he was like, you really wrote this? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, this is pretty good. And I'm all, well, really? You think so? And he goes, yeah, well, you know, you might want to, you might want to think about advertising. I mean, it was, it was that stupid and innocent. And yeah. I had no concept of where Shiat Day ranked as an ad agency <laughs> in Los Angeles, because my dad never brought home a belding pole. And he never and he never came home bragging about the accounts that he won. Yeah, he came home. He'd drink two stiff martinis, uh, you know, chill out in front of the TV, and and yeah, it wasn't until his suggestion goes well. If you think you might be interested in advertising, why don't you sign up for these some of these advertising center classes? Mm -hmm. Ad center was like an early ad school. Mm -hmm. Certainly nothing on the. Uh, compared to Art Center, which right. was much more established, but Ad Center was industry professionals. Yeah, back in the day, and we're talking about the early '80s, uh, who taught classes at night. Uh, yeah. And the funny thing for me is, I started taking the classes, and I really liked it. But never did it dawn on me that Shia Day was anything but just an ad agency in LA. Yeah, until I had one instructor, and I won't name any names who asked me to stay after class one time. And I said, no problem. And, and he said to me, I don't know why you're wasting your time here. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, why don't you just go get a fucking job at Shiat Day? You know that's where you're going to end up. And it, I didn't even know where it was coming from. Really? So I 
I went home from the ad class. I go, I think I completely pissed off my instructor and I can't figure out what happened. My dad says, well, what happened? And I told him, and he goes, okay, I'm going to tell you what happened. He probably didn't get a job at Shiat Day, didn't have a good interview. Yeah. And he decided to take it out on you. And I go, well, why would he do that? And then my dad's like, well, since you seem to be taking interest in this, I should probably tell you some stuff about Shiat Day. <laughs> we're a pretty good ad agency. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And he goes, okay, we're a very good ad agency. And I think like he like grabbed a one show and went to the index and opened it up and there were 14 listings back there. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, holy Christ. You didn't tell me you were in the Beatles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I was, I was far enough along into the classes where I was enjoying it to where I thought, oh, well, when were you planning on telling me that? Yeah. Because I decided to wait till some fucking instructor grilled you over the coals. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, but it's good because you like you could have been a real asshole about it, and and well, been one of those kids who's like, well, my dad owns giant thing, well, <laughs> but I, you weren't. I think if it had been served up to me that way, I'd be all no. I don't think I want to follow Sandy Koufax into yeah into LA advertising, right? Or yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the way it happened. I think my dad just had an uncanny knack for telling me what I needed to know. Right at the moment, it could do me some good, but not filling my head full of stuff that would, would have made me so like, uh, I wouldn't have dreamed of following my dad into advertising had I understood the staff yeah. that Shiat Day had by the time I was going in. I mean, think about it this way. The 1984 Super Bowl spot broke the year I started in the business. Wow. Right? So contextually speaking, Shia Day was at an absolute zenith. Yeah. Just as I was putting together that first portfolio to try to go find a flunky job somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, right with the point of view that not having gone to a prestigious advertising program, like I went to a trade school, mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not going to go ask Lee for a job. I'm going to first try and figure out how to do this shit mm -hmm. and hopefully continue to like it. And then finally, it, I think I knew very early in my path was not to go ask for a job at Shia Day. Yeah. Well, that's right? good. It's, it's admirable that you didn't do that. And I think it's, 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 good. It, it's good to find your way out in the world first. And then. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, and I think that was very much how, how my dad looked at the world. And, and I'll, give you an ex I'll give you a funny example. I read an article once about Sting the musician, mm -hmm. and it was talking about how Sting is one of the most successful musicians on the planet. He's planned his career brilliantly. He's made a lot of money. I was reading this article, and one time one of his kids said to him, Dad, are we rich? And he said, I am, you're not. <laughs> that's how my dad really looked at the world. Yeah. Right? And that's not, that, that's just like, no, you make a way for yourself. I'm here for you. I will help you. I will be your ear. But I'm not going to give you an easy path, nor do I think you want one. What a great dad. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, on so many levels, when I decided to go into advertising, I got to see a side of my dad I never saw. And Why is that? that? Was a side that was so valuable to so many people 
that when his obituary, what, 10, 10 plus years ago, when his obituary hit, his instruction to family was, I don't want you talking a whole lot when people call you for a quote. You can corroborate facts, but I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't like go into all the details because he was a very private person. Yeah. And I think he, yeah. took, he was very modest. I don't know if I'd say to the point of fault, but I really just respected his modesty so much. Yeah. And he didn't really trash talk. Um, unless something was really bothering him or you really dug into it or you really said, no, I really, really, really want to know. Yeah. And then he'd go, okay, this is not for you to repeat to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some people call up and go, you got to write a story. You got to write a book about your dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's the last thing in the world my dad would have wanted was yeah. about him <laughs> or about him and Jay or about their differences. Yeah. Um, That's great. But I think he would have loved I think he would have loved you with your mind open because it's really about the things I learned by having the advantage of good advice when I had the intelligence to take it. Yeah. So tell me some of the, some of the, the top like well, tips in here that, find, that people are going to want to. You'll find a story in my book about the first agency I ever worked at. And I don't really name it by name because the story I tell is not the most flattering story. Yeah. And I refer to the owner of the agency who had the good, who, who had the heart to hire me with, with a decent book out of Ad Center. Yeah. Um, but he had no creative director. And I was dumb enough to think that was a good thing because it meant more at-bats, which it certainly did. <laughs> it also meant very little adult supervision from creative <laughs> to knew what they were talking about, right? Yeah. So he's a man who thought it was a good idea to let the inmates run the prison. So he had two young teams. Mm -hmm. There was no real senior writer, junior writer. He essentially had two junior teams and some young account people. And his wife was a very successful realtor. And I think in retrospect, he just needed somewhere to go during the day. <laughs> right? <laughs> so being He just needed a, a, a hobby. You were his hobby. Being careful not to name names. My boss called me one day after work, mortified, and he said, uh, we got a problem. We've got a client coming in for a presentation tomorrow, and I forgot about them. <laughs> and I said, okay. He said, they're a fashion brand. Their name is Politics, and they're expecting to see Spec Creative from us tomorrow. And I said, okay. And then he says, so we're just going to have to come up with something. We. <laughs> we. Bear in mind, I've been in the business three months. Uh, what time is it at this point? Uh, oh, 6.30 p.m. <laughs> okay. Right? The meeting is tomorrow at so 10 o'clock. I go into an office. I shut the door. I call my dad, and I, and I mean, I am panicked. Yeah. So what the hell do I do? And he goes, I'm going to tell you what to do. You're going to walk into that meeting tomorrow and you're going to look that client in the eye and you're going to introduce them yourself and, and the president is going to be in the meeting 
and you're going to tell them any agency that purports to know your story and shows you ads is showing you crap because they really don't understand your brand well enough to be representing it. Yeah. We want to take a different path. We want to understand your story. We want to understand your brand. And then we want to show you the right ads to do. And then, because we were very lucky, my boss had a case study within the category. And he showed a case study for Ditto Jeans. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty good work. Jordan Mendelson, who had an agency called Mendelson Zine, for a short time was a, a writer at this agency and did this nice campaign. Mm -hmm. So showed the case study for Ditto's, talked about why that work was right for Ditto's, then spent the rest of the meeting taking notes as they told us their story. Yeah. They then That's left, cool. called us up two days later and said, you were absolutely right. We, we've just got showed so much shit by so many people, and you were the only one honest enough who wanted to know our story before. Oh, so your dad won so, that pitch too. So <laughs> the account is yours. Wow. Yep. And we ended up selling work Honest to God, I was very proud of. And that is such a good story because it, yeah. it's it's it flies in the face of everything that's happening now in the business, yeah. which is which is like, sure, we can do it. Let's just we'll show you stuff. We'll show you lots of stuff. You we got more where that came from. There's so many ideas. Yeah, yeah I had no. so many ideas on the way here. Yeah, so I would I would uh, hear that from people that um, at agencies I've worked at where one partner would always jump in and be like, I know, I know. And it's like the other partner would be like, no, you don't know. That's, that's, you don't know yet, you yeah. know, cause, well, cause you don't. So there's a, there's a good, very good early example of me realizing what a mess I had gotten my, myself into, Yeah. but naive enough to when, when we could sell something good, there wasn't anybody getting in the way of it. There wasn't somebody like, designing it in such a way that it looked like a 15-year-old ad. Yeah. Uh, and I had a talented art director that I was working with. So, um, but after that, after that situation, I was like, holy Christ, I really need a creative director, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I can't be calling my dad every three weeks in, in meltdown mode, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but he gave you such good of, advice there. That was, yeah, that was and, good. And, and, and I think that continued. And the only piece of advice my dad ever gave me that I completely disagreed with is he said, don't move to Austin, Texas. Don't go to GSDNM. Here's what's going to happen if you do. And I disagreed with that. I moved to Austin, Texas, but I moved to Austin, Texas with the fear of God in me that my father had predicted what would be my future. Yeah. And I did everything I could to make sure that wasn't my future. What did he tell you your future was going to be if you went to He said, Austin, you're going to go into GSDNM, which is a good regional agency. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're going to get comfortable. And no matter what they tell you you'll be working on, you will be moved on to crappy accounts and end up doing crappy work for small clients. And your career will be over because I was 39. When, when I moved to Austin. Yeah. And I, I happened to interview with Roy Spence, and he said some things to me that I realized I could lean into. Uh, and, the, and I didn't write about this in the book, um, but there will be 
I will write yeah. about this in the next. Well, this is only stage one, launch and ascent. This we haven't gotten to. One. I was going to so, ask you about that. What's stage two? Stage two is the soft middle pudgy part of your career, <laughs> right? It's when it's it's when you become an associate creative director and you realize oh. the responsibility, but none of the none of the none of the weight. The really worst job in advertising and creative. ACD. <laughs> and it's funny because I wake up every morning thinking another anecdotal story about what a terrible place that is to be because you've got an ECD or a GCD or a CCO yeah. calling the shots and you're carrying the work to the meeting and having to take the bullets. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's the middle part to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's learning how to uh be a good brand ambassador for your clients when they are good ones. Mm -hmm. How to have spirited debates with them when they aren't necessarily good clients. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a lot of fun writing the second one. Yeah, absolutely right. And I've had so many people say to me, that's the worst, the worst. <laughs> well, it's, it's terrible when you have responsibility, but you don't have any authority, really. Right. right? Yeah. And again, you worked for Cliff, right? Yes. Okay. So the agency at the time didn't have an ECD. GSDM didn't, right? Right, right, right. And if you look at GSDM, the, the, the partners are stitched together and none of them are creative, right? Right. So I think there was an inherent mistrust of creative oh, right. there. And there was a lack of them wanting to make anybody ECD. I think Guy Barmerito was ECD, left before I got there. And at the time, they were like, well, we're just not going to have an ECD. Right, because he'll just leave. So they had GCDs and they, they broke the agency up into four parts. And they hired me to go to work with a GCD named David Crawford, who's a wonderful, wonderful art director and just a, a, just a good soul. Yeah. Um, and David and I were in charge of a quarter of the agency as GCDs. And other GCDs worked on other stuff. But one of the things Roy Spence told me because I asked him when I interviewed, I said, what, what does success look, for, look like to you? And what is it you want for me coming from out of market into your agency to do while I'm at your agency? Mm -hmm. And he gave me this kind of line of, well, Cameron, I need to know that you're an idea person. I need ideas. I need this agency to rise up to be a great creative agency. You know, and he gave me this whole spiel. And I need you to be entrepreneurial. And I want you to think about hiring some of our local suppliers instead of flying out of town to do all your music and editing at places in LA and New York. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I walked out of that. Well, I walked out of that meeting, right? And I, I think I met with a dozen people in one day, stayed the night, and then came in and had a chat with them the next morning. And I was due to fly out the next day. Yeah. And when I went in, I talked to the head of creative services, who shall also remain nameless. <laughs> and he said, well, the good news is everybody thinks you'd fit in here. And I go, well, that is good news. And they said, okay, well, let's talk about your salary. And I go, great. And he goes, well, you know, we don't pay what you're making in LA. And I said, well, I was kind of anticipating that, but I assume my headhunter talk to you about my my salary requirements and they said no and i thought wait a minute my headhunter didn't tell you what my salary requirements are he said no 
I'm like, holy crap, I'm going to murder this. So Person. also will not name the headhunter. Right? <laughs> uh, my head is swimming. So I go, well, all right. So what's the offer? And he told me what the offer was. I go, I don't think that's going to work for me. And this is really embarrassing to me because I had this conversation with my headhunter. And I assume she had the conversation with you, but clearly she didn't. I think I need to go back to LA and have a long talk with my, my ex headhunter. <laughs> and uh, but what I ended up doing is I said to him, look, I understand that the cost of living may be lower in Austin, right? So I'm willing to take what I'm being paid right now at Saatchi and Saatchi and put it through a money magazine. Um, what did they call it? Matrix of. Yeah, it was, it was a matrix that they had established yeah. that if you're making X amount in L.A., you should make this amount in Austin. Yeah. I go, I'm willing to put my number through this thing and whatever number comes out at the end of it, that's what I'm willing to work for. And it was, it was more than they wanted to pay. Oh, well, that's good. So well, you had that information. So I hop on a plane. I go back to LA. I'm so pissed at my header, Hunter, that we, we only started talking again a couple of years ago and just exchanged a note, but yeah. never dealt with this headhunter again. I was like, right. how could you do, how could you do that to somebody, right? Yeah. Somebody who had researched the city, yeah, uh, convinced his wife that I think this is the place we can move where we can educate our kids in public schools. Yeah. And would see a lot of great live music, which my wife and I always love doing in LA. Yeah. And then the numbers like nowhere near where it needs to be. So I come back like a dog with my tail between my legs, ready to kill a headhunter. And I go back to Saatchi and Saatchi and I resign myself that I'm going to end up living in the land of Shiat Day the rest of my career <laughs> and not wanting to work at Shiat Day. <laughs> a year later, GSDM called and said, We'd like to have you think about coming to work for us. And I said, You know, we had this conversation before, and it didn't end well. Yeah. And they said, "No, we're 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 we've relooked at what we're doing salary wise, and we're willing to do exactly what you suggested with the Money Magazine Cost of Living Index." Oh wow! And I said, "Well, if you're serious, uh, that sounds great." And really, what what GSDM did was they knew they were going to pitch a car account. It was in the cards for them to have a car. None of their GCDs in the building had ever worked on a car. Mm. They had a lot of experience and there were a lot of great creatives. But I think they realized, you know, if we're going to win a car account, we got to know, we got to have somebody who knows their way around dealers, uh, national clients, the difference between the dealer work and the national work. Um, so they decided to offer me the job with the understanding that when a car account comes into this business, you will be half of running it with mm. an ACD partner. And in this case, it was David Crawford, who I love. Yeah. And uh, you knew that going and, in. And the funny thing is, when I took the job, they had been told they won the Mazda account. Mm -hmm. So it was ostensibly to come in and run Mazda. And then in a last minute change, Mazda decided to give their agency of record a second shot and the agency was told they didn't win Mazda. So I'm like, okay, I've been here once before. Okay, <laughs> let's see. 
I want to say I had moved to Austin ahead of my wife and family, yeah. ostensibly to deep dive Mazda. I get there and they hadn't won Mazda. <laughs> so About going, the Mazda. Oh, account. this this isn't good. Hey. We do have a Mazda account you might be good on, but we don't have the Mazda account. <laughs> so uh, uh, yet again, rug pulled. I'm going, you know, something tells me I, I should probably just go back to LA. And they go, no, 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 no. This doesn't change what we told you. It just changes what the brand is. So why don't you go work on Pennzoil ancillary brands and we'll bide our time until we win that car account. And when they offer me Pennzoil ancillary brands, those are all the ads that are in the gearhead magazines that I was subscribing to. Yeah. Classic car wax, gum out, fuel injecting cleaner. It's like all of those products are stuff I've like poured in the cars I've owned, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh well, I'll work for those brands, right? Yeah. So I went to work on Pennzoil ancillary brands. Uh, I think I was at the agency, I don't know. 10, 11 months, and then Land Rover called. Oh, wow. We pitched Land Rover. We beat Crispin for the Land Rover account and Kirschenbaum. Wow. Uh, and lo and behold, there I am on Land Rover at GSD now. Wow. What year is that? 2000 to 2002. And I'm terrible with, with, yeah. with years. Somewhere in there. Like yeah. I was only at the agency. I was at the agency less than three years, but the voice in the back of my head the whole time I was there was my dad going, you're going to get comfortable, you're going to get complacent, you're going to be shifted onto accounts where you can't do great stuff. And I was like, I'm on Land Rover. Wild horses are not going to take me off of Land Rover. Yeah. And then shortly after we win Land Rover, I'm on a flight to go see Pennzoil with ancillary brand work. I think it was gum out work. And I'm talking to the account lady and she said, oh, did you hear about Rolling Stone? And I go, no, because I only ran the businesses that were in my quadrant of accounts. It's almost like there were four independent- Four agencies, agencies yeah. Under one roof. Well, we had one winner media and the- Group creative directors on it had sold a really nice campaign for Men's Journal. They had sold the beginning of a nice campaign for Us Magazine. And Wenner had been holding back Rolling Stone as like the third initiative. So then the Rolling Stone work came into the agency to be solved. And the GCD team, in the eyes of, of, of Rolling Stone, were struggling on the business. Okay. Right? The account lady tells me on the airplane, oh, yeah, we're, we're, Jan Winter just called and said, if you don't show us the, I, an idea we love at the next meeting, we're going to break off Rolling Stone and work with a New York agency on And Roy Spence was like, I'll be damned if I'm going to lose that part of the Winter Media account. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the main part, right? I mean, it's... So, well, it, you know, in spend... It, it Maybe was, not in spend, but just in cool factor, right? It, it was cool. And yeah. look, it was a really nice time. campaign for Men's Journal. Um, so it wasn't like, for, for any number of reasons, the agency hadn't cracked the code on Rolling Stone. 
And Nancy's on a flight with me and she tells me this story. And I'm going, holy Christ, you got to be kidding with me. And, and I go, I had no idea. Well, the other reason why I had no idea is I, don't, I didn't go out drinking with the other ECDs after work. I went home to my beautiful wife or I went <laughs> to see a concert, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. So when I started at, at GSDNM, I really didn't get into the boys club of GSDNM. I got into how do I protect my ability to do good work and not get pulled off of good accounts. Yeah. Right. Because of your dad's, your dad's perspective, you had this sort of almost like standoffish feeling with the agency the whole time you were there. That's correct. That's correct. So GSM used to like to say about people who'd come in from out of market, oh, well, the body rejected that organ. (laughs) And were you the reason they said that? (laughs) Well, and and I thought, and here I am a fresh organ, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I also saw guys who came from Goodby or came from Wyden or came from Mullen or came from these really great agencies who got to GSDNM and realized at the time they didn't have the infrastructure of a great agency. Mm. What is the infrastructure of a great agency? Well, to answer your question, it's when every department makes your idea 5% better rather than 5% worse. Mm. And and I would say when guys came from Wyden, they they'd come out of their first meeting and go, okay, I didn't sell the first body of work. We're going to redouble our efforts and go in with something even more kick-ass. I think the agency attitude was, oh, no, 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 no. Play nice with that account. We don't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. So, and this is this is my take on it. Sure, right? sure. Uh, my take was- And at the time. You, at take. the time, you were allowed to show something good to the client and try like gangbusters to sell it. But if they didn't buy it, well, then it was like, well, then you'd be a good little creative director and you go back there and you show them something they can get comfortable with. Right. Versus shy at day, which is like, they would, they would beat the hell out of a client. They would wear them down. Yeah. And so I was more of the cultural disposition. Hey, I'll play nice. I'll listen to everything the client says. I will, I will take all the clues I can, but I want to continue to show them work that pushes it because hey, something Roy said to me when I started is we need ideas. We need to upgrade the work around here. I want to be known as a great creative agency, bar none. Mm. So I simply took Roy at his word and used that as my ECD because I didn't have one. Did that cause you to be like the squeaky wheel who like everybody was like, Oh, Cameron's on his high horse again about. No, uh, I think I had the good sense not to do it from a high, a high horse position. Yeah. If I were to tell you the, the way the Rolling Stone thing netted out, I said to Nancy, as we're flying to the meeting, well, what do you think the problem is on Rolling Stone? And, he, and she said, well, the client keeps telling the creatives that we can use all the images in their archives but the GCDs don't want to do that because they think those images are played out. <laughs> you're going to see a story about this in my book. I was like, <laughs> you're telling me that Annie Leibovitz is played out? You're telling me that David LaChapeau's Lasha, images are played out? Linda McCartney? <laughs> I'm like, well, I and, and I subscribed to Rolling Stone for like 20 years, right? Yeah. The two great loves of my life. Custom cars music yeah right so nancy's going yeah it's kind of weird because you'd think they'd lean into that and she goes well i have i have one of the books 
in my carry-on. Do you want to look at it? I go, sure. So she hands me the book, and I understand that the brief is, do you remember when Fallon and Kelly did the Perception Reality campaign? Yeah. It's uh, like what Perception iconic. was doing. It was expanding Rolling Stone magazine to stand for more than stoners and music and liberal journalism. And it was talking to media planners at and agencies say, hey, and brands. Rolling Stone at, at the time was at the time that, that they did the reality perception campaign, Rolling Stone made the editorial decision to start doing articles about high fidelity equipment, fashion, movies, politics. Well, it was all, the politics was always there and the music was always there, right? Oh, okay, right. But, but they embraced all these other categories and I think became a more general magazine mm. and, and grew the Rolling Stone ethos. But at the same time, all these vertical magazines came out like High Fidelity Magazine and, and, and magazines that catered specifically to movies mm. and catered specifically to fashion. Yeah. So what had happened is, Rolling Stone went from being a musical authority with, with liberal political views to a more mainstream magazine that purported to be good at fashion and talking about cars and, and, and audio equipment, right as a bunch of magazines came out and filled those categories with more specific knowledge. Yeah, right? yeah. So by the time it got to GSD&M, they were lacking credibility from young music listeners who were like, oh, well, my dad reads that magazine. Mm -hmm. not, not a good sign if you're looking for new band, right? And then you've got um, the older subscriber, which essentially I was, mm. who was interested in reading stories about Clapton and maybe I'm hip to Dave Matthews, maybe not. And I want to read about the Grateful Dead and I want to read the reviews of David Crosby's album. but like I was tracking new bands just because I've always been a, an album nerd, but mm -hmm. I think they had a an aging and graying demographic that was largely subscribers. Yeah, and then they had this younger base that weren't subscribing to the magazines, but were picking up newsstand issues when they saw something that interested them. Right, and at the time I never realized this as a subscriber, I would be sent a cover with Eric Clapton or Carl Santana on the cover. But the subscriber issue on the on the stands was Britney. Oh. I didn't even realize it because I yeah. assumed that whatever magazine I was being sent was what was yeah. on the same the magazine, media. right? So yeah. then we split covers to try to appease both demographics. Right. And DSDM was faced with looking at the magazine, going, how do we make this relevant to young music listeners and go back to being about the music so that we can stand for what we originally stood for? Right. It's a new demographic. Okay. So when Nancy tells me about the, the, the problem they're having that the creatives don't want to use these images, I was like, <laughs> give me the damn book. I'll figure out how to use the images. Yeah. And I open up the book and I start thinking about how much I'm more of a music lover and more of a lyric lover than a literature lover, right? So yeah, right. looking at images and I thought, how can I take old guy and new guy and merge them in an interesting way, mm. right? So I come across an image of, of uh, Melissa Etheridge, and she's like shot in 
in the desert in California, backlit by the sun, very triumphant shot. And I had just read, read a magazine article in Rolling Stone like two weeks earlier that talked about how Melissa and her same-sex partner asked David Crosby to be the sperm donor for their first child. So I'm looking at this image of, of, of Melissa Etheridge, who then was a contemporary artist versus the classic artist. Right. I go, oh, what if you took the song lyric, Teach Your Children Well? And you put Teach Your Children Well, and you put the shot of Melissa Etheridge, and then the only other words on the page under the Rolling Stone magazine said, music is powerful stuff. Oh, wow. So I go, okay, that's kind of interesting. Then I turn to the next page, and there's another image, and I end up coming up with all these, like, if it was a contemporary artist, I'd go, all right, what's an old school lyric that I could put against this that might make some kind of social commentary? Right. And then if it was a shot of a older artist, I'd say, what is something that's more relevant and more yeah, new? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm already writing ads in my head as you're, as you're talking. Well, and, and, and <laughs> the irony of it was just on that airplane, I, don't, I think it was like 20 minutes before we touched down, I probably had 30 stickies in this book. Yes. And I shove the book in, uh, into my bag and I tell Nancy, you're not getting this book back. And we go to our meeting in Houston and then we fly back. And I think as we were flying back, I got the book back out and I started putting more lyrics against images. And then I walk into the office and we're like, I want to say three days away from the meeting where we're going to lose Rolling Stone. Yeah. And I go to David Crawford, who wasn't in, on the flight to Houston with me. I said, David, this is crazy, but I think I have an idea for Rolling Stone. And he goes, well, what is it? And I lay the idea on him, and I go, and I was wondering if I could ask you a favor. We're moving pretty fast. Would you mind doing a layout that looks like it was done by the art directors at Rolling Stone magazine? Because they're, they're very good at, like, typography, and they had all kinds of, like, beautiful... And, and David's just this amazing art director. He goes... Oh, sure, I can do that. Uh, can it be a spread? I go, absolutely. So he designs a spread, and he goes, how many headlines you got? And I go, I don't know. I probably have 30, but I was going to ask a couple more guys to work on it. And he goes, okay, why don't you take your best headlines into the art department, have them start laying this out. Here's the layout. We had three books. We had this one, which is Seliger's book. Yeah. We had Leibowitz's book, and we had David LaChapelle's book. Yeah. And three three pretty about, good uh, photographers. Well, and the thing about Rolling Stone is they owned those images outright. Yeah. It wasn't stock. It was like, no, they paid good money for those shoots and they owned the images. So I took the book into the art department. Uh, I took the best ads I had uh, and had them start laying it out. And then I went to a, a writer who worked for me named Bill Bain. And when I moved to Austin, Bill Bain turned me on to Southern Rock. Anytime Bill Bain said to me, hey, you need to come out with me and see these bands tonight. And I go, well, who are they? And he'd go, Slobberbone is opening for drive-by truckers, and they're both really great bands. Meet me there. I would meet him there for the show. And I'd walk out just with my head spinning going, I've never heard of drive-by truckers, but I just saw one of the greatest performances of my, of, of my life, right? Yeah, yeah. So I give the books to, to, to Bill, and I go, look, you have a different roster than I have. Mm. Take this with you, go home with it, and, and show me some lines tomorrow, because I think I've got the beginning of a good idea. And then I went to an account guy named, David, uh, named Eric Ashey, 
And Eric was a big music head. We had had conversations before. And I went to him and I said, I have an unusual favor to ask of you. Would you be willing to take home one of these books and put song, song lyrics against it? Mm. And I, what, what you said five minutes ago is so fascinating because you said, I'm already coming up with executions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next day, Bill Bain walks in, he's got 75 pages marked with lyrics. Yeah. Right? That's and how I, powerful lyrics are. I'm going, holy crap. Like he, he had one with a shot of, um, oh, what is his name? The Southern artist, not Eminem, the Detroit guy, Kid Rock. Yeah. He had a La Chapelle shot of Kid Rock in a totally pimped out glam kind of cowboy uh, outfit with strippers hanging over him. Yeah. And Bill walks in, he goes, what about this? Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Oh, against that image. Boom. And I was just like, oh, my God. And then Eric Ashey comes in, the account guy, right? Yeah. Lucky strike extra. Eric looked like he hadn't gone to bed. Wow. And he goes, Cam, I've got to tell you something. That was like the most fun I've ever had in my life. And he drags out the book, and he's got like 150 stickies on it. And I'm like, what did you, did you stay up all fucking night doing this? And he goes, yeah, but I think I got some good ones. I think I killed a guy. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so I was like, it, it literally went from whatever four ads that I put into the, into the yeah. production department to 35 killers. So here's what I'm taking from, from what you just told me. First of all, don't ever, if the client asks for something specifically, Lean into it. Yeah. Don't say, ah, oh, it's been done. Like what? Of course it's been done. Everything's been done, pal. Oh, yeah. Bucko. <laughs> I want to go back in and time it, and, and shake those guys. It's been done by La Chapelle and it's been yeah. done by Leibowitz. Yeah. 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 It's been done yeah. by the best in the business. And you're being asked to do that. Figure out a way. And then the other thing that you did that was great is you didn't, waste time. You just got into it and came up with an idea and you were like, this is pretty good. And then you didn't jump in and try to hoard it and say like, this is my idea. I'm going to, you gave it away when you got back to the office and you did it in such a way that, and I I feel like that was something I learned at at like bigger agencies like Shiat and JWT is like, there's so many people in the agency that might not be quote unquote creative people, but they have jobs that make the work better and make the work great and they want to be a part of it and if you can bring them into it uh you're going to be a hero because like they're all going to remember that uh and they'll do stuff for you in the future because you know it's such a great story you know that's you're making me reflect on another story that like one of the things my dad was a big fan of he said if you've got somebody in your agency and they're an outcast or they're living a secret life, or they're very quiet, or they're painfully shy. If that person's good, mentor that person and teach them to do the things they don't do well, and they'll never forget you. Mm. And those are the guys who will stay up all night when you give them an assignment because they want to prove to you they're worthy of, of being asked. Yeah. So, so many times for me in my career, it was like me finding the guy huddled in the comor- in the corner who could write so poetically and bring tears to your eyes and everybody's all, yeah, he's weird. 
I'm all, mm. give me some of that weirdness. We're all weird. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I hope so. So, I mean, and that's another, another thing that, that my dad was always a big fan of. Hey, you got somebody in your office who's a huge music fan and you're working on a music assignment and you have an idea, ask them to work on it. Yeah. And I'll be damned if the account guy didn't walk in with 175 ideas. And between Bill and I, we had 50. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's amazing. And, and I think it shows that like sometimes an idea is really simple. And it also shows the, the importance of, and you happen to know about music, and music is something that a lot of people get really passionate about, but you also knew about those ancillary products from, from uh, who was it? Uh, WD-40. Pennzoil, ancillary products, classic car wax. I, I mean, I could see somebody, okay, I was promised the Land Rover account and I'm getting Pennzoil ancillary products. I thought your story was going to be, so I left. I wasn't going to take that. But right. you knew them so well and you were passionate about it. Well, I feel like every single product, when you're a copywriter especially, needs to be an obsession for you. Like it, it, you, you, it helps if you can really get into the, the stories, like knowing that story about Melissa Etheridge was the key to that whole campaign. Yep. Um, because it, in your mind, you were like, well, his lyrics on her picture would tell a story that if you knew it, you'd feel like, oh, they get it. I get it. You, you know, right. you don't have to explain it. Uh, so, so great. And so important. There's so many, there's so many great lessons in that story. Yeah. So anyway, um, I chose Austin. GSDN made it possible for me to come to Austin, and I made it impossible for them to take me off a piece of business if there was any opportunity to do good work on it. Yeah, and I think if that makes me if that makes me a little bit of an asshole, I'll I'll take it. How how were you an asshole in that situation? Like who well, would have called I, you an asshole? I was an asshole, but. I'm going to end up reciting my entire book to you, Tom. <laughs> well, that's good. We'll, we'll, we'll put these out as a, as chew with your mind open, uh, the, the podcast series. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, it's, it's just really funny because before I left LA, there was a writer named Sally Hogshead. Have you ever heard of her? Yes, of course. So you know how good Sally is and and how she's become a motivational speaker right yeah yeah i think that sally had this concept that i had read about called radical careering and her attitude was and this was very consistent with my dad's attitude an agency's job isn't to build your career or your portfolio your job is to do that and their job is to try to put out fires and move people around as they see fit to make sure that the fires get put out. Yeah. So there came a day when they wanted to pull me off Land Rover. And incidentally, we hadn't done the best work for Land Rover yet. It was, it was year one. Mm -hmm. And another, uh, another creative in the building who had been asked off a big piece of business their solution was, well, we'll put him on Land Rover because he's worked on cars and done great stuff. And we'll just move Cam into a different group and make him responsible for some different, for different account. Mm. So I get pulled into the, the room one day and they say, hey, we've decided we're going to make this change because we're, 
we have a little bit of a hot potato on our hands. So-and-so got asked off Southwest Airlines, so we're going to put them into the rider role that you're in on Land Rover. And I go, let me get this straight. Asshole gets asked off an account. So I get punished for that. Right. Right. So I went back to my desk and I called my client and I said, Kim, I want to ask you a question straight up. Do you value me on your business? And she said, of course I do, Cameron. I said, you're going to get a phone call within the next few hours telling you that I'm being pulled off your business. Don't let them do it. Wow. She said, I won't, Cameron. Wow, that's ballsy. So they call the client, go, hey, there's been a change at the agency. We're going to move Cam off of it. And she said, you're not moving Cam off of my business. And they said, well, why not? And they said, well, Cam understands my brand. Cam and I have had hours of conversation about Land Rover. Um, he gets cars. He gets the business. I think you're going to have to come up with a different solution. <laughs> so what they did is they moved that creative above me, and I stayed on the business. Oh, no. He was your boss now. and this part isn't in the book but just to give it some context he was put on the brand above me but was not allowed to go to the client because they didn't want him to get asked off that business if he said something unfortunate yeah yeah, so i became like the acd of the account where i had (laughs) to carry the bags i had to carry the bags to the meeting i had to get his approval and and i had to try like gangbusters to sell as good a work as i possibly could to land rover yeah because coming from grayson rothschild they hadn't dropped their meat in the dirt in years dropped their meat in the dirt i had never heard that expression that's a very texas expression (laughs) it's a great expression all I could think was look i didn't come to gsdnm to work on pennzoil ancillary brands to then get put on to Land Rover and then be taken off of it before we did any great work for the brand. Yeah. Right. But it almost happened. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, that's, and, uh, and- but good for you for standing up for yourself and for, for proactively well, making and sure my, that. And for my father, basically predicting that would happen. And when they come and tap you on the shoulder and you have to go work on, on Lennox air conditioning, instead of Land Rover, you'll have only yourself to blame for buying into their bullshit. Yeah. So look out for yourself out there. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and even if it costs you a job, if it doesn't cost you the quality of your work, it's worth the price. Because that's all you have, right? Yeah, that's all you have. Right. You have an opinion and you have your work. And if you don't stick to both of them and be willing to go down with the ship once in a while, you're screwed. Yeah. And the other thing that you should know about me is that I never stopped writing. So as a group creative director, you had to beat me if you were going to win. Yeah. And if you beat me, I'd be the first guy to go, you did it. Great. That's what you're supposed to do because I'm trying to hire, I'm trying to only hire people who are better than me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Also from my dad, right? Yes. And uh, did your dad still write stuff sometimes? My dad wrote a lot of the new business materials that Shiat Day did. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the ad, How Shiat Day Lost the Honda Car Account? Yeah. My dad wrote that. 
Oh, wow. As powerful as an ad as Shia Taver ever ran. Do you have a copy of that? You know, that I could I, put in the show notes. I do, and it's filed away. But oh, okay. You know, it's maybe I could. I could probably Google it. You could Google it, and I've it's seen in, it, and it's in the Shia Fifty book, the book that just came out. Okay, I got to get that um, too. But I do have it. Uh, I made the mistake of buying a flat file thirty years ago, and there's about a thousand pounds of shit in it <laughs> right now, and that adds in it. Yeah, that's amazing. <clears throat> well, I've kept you over your time. Um, but I, I, I want to I do more of these. I want to I read the book and talk more with you. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, I'd also love to have you in my class uh, for an hour or so uh, to talk to my students yeah, one, well, one Monday night. I tell you what, I've thought, I've thought about this because as a, as a marketing ploy, I would love to tell you this. If you like my book, put me on your reading list. If oh, you yes. Your reading list, you're forcing your kids to read my book. Yeah. If you yeah. force them to read my book, I will talk to them. <laughs> Excellent. Deal. And, uh, <laughs> since, Deal, Cameron Day. Since I didn't fund on Kickstarter, I'm going to have to do this the hard way. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to get you those book sales. But also, it's a great book. And uh, already I can tell just from the, the, Lee, the Lee Clow forward and the, uh, the table of contents, it is chock full of uh of information don't let your first job be your worst job standing out with the embarrassing restraining without the embarrassing restraining order big shops versus small shops versus shops that aren't shops at all it's got it's it just seems like it's just full uh, and it's written in such a way that it feels like you're sitting there talking to you which is which is so cool and i do love the 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 graphic design of it and i now that you've told me the blue pages are the are the sort of executive summary of each thing right. that, that, that really helps. It, it's like a reference guide. It feels like a Tashin book, like a, yeah. like one of those, one well, of those I, books you I have would, on, your, on your, I would say if you're having an advertising emergency, go to the blue section. Yeah. If you want to have a, hear a funny story or a tragic story or a heartbreaking story, read the stories. So, so I'm going to read, I'm going to read the top three tips for job hunting and then we'll, there and then go. we'll let you go. Uh, tips for job hunting from food for thought by Cameron day, a, a great first job, assuming, assuming you perform it well, practically ensures a great second job, which directly contributes to a better resume. Never get charmed into taking a job that doesn't fit your career goals or your interests. It might build character, but it sure as hell won't fill your book with the kind of work you want to be associated. And if you don't feel good about the job you're being offered, all the money in the world won't change that fact. Trust your gut and say no. It only took me about 20 years to listen to my own. <laughs> all right. That'll, be our, that'll be our sign off. Yeah. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a great night. You too. Good night. Bye. Cameron Day, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you can get Cameron's book at his website, IamCameronDay.com. Uh, you can also, I think, get it on Amazon, but get it from uh, the guy himself. He'll he'll even sign it for you and send you some cool swag. I have it. It's very cool. Um, so this has been The A-List, sponsored by Ad House Advertising School, where we've got new classes starting uh, right this week, next week. So go to adhousenyc.com and sign up. Uh, you get 10 weeks of classes with an ad pro for uh, way less than the big ad schools charge. Uh, apply today and we'll get you in.
I'm Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the A-List wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you to Ross Hopman over at Duotone Audio Group for this music. Get vaccinated. Bye.